Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities with Public Schools Unite Us initiative and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. It's the Capital Connection. Hi, I'm David Gustina. Joining us this week is Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan. Now, she's not just the Albany mayor, and the reason that I've asked her here on the program this week is that she's the president of the New York State Conference of Mayors, who were testifying before the legislature this week for aid to local governments. And, of course, Mayor Sheehan is a Democrat right here in the city of Albany, where WAMC is, and it's really good to see you, Mayor Sheehan. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a delight. Now, let's get right to it. You were there at the legislature in your home city saying, come on, be consistent, give Albany the funding that it so richly deserves. And we'll start there because the state complex sits in the middle of Albany, downtown proper, and they don't pay taxes on that complex. And Albany would like to see a consistent check come in each year that they can count on. Am I, am I right on that? Yeah. You know, we do get a pilot payment that is scheduled to expire in the 2030s, which is just around the corner. And so we were successful in convincing the state that the city of Albany as the capital needed some additional funding, and that's the $15 million of capital city funding. But what we are suggesting be done now is that the Section 19A, the section of the state law that provides all municipalities where the state owns property and takes over private property and uses it for a public use and takes it off the tax rolls, that that be amended to have a set amount that includes the capital city funding that takes into account the fact that 64 percent of our property is not taxable. Half of that is more than half of that is owned by the state. And we want that indexed with the tax cap so that we don't have to worry every year what's going to happen. Certainly don't want to be worrying as the original 19A payments for the Empire State Plaza start to uh decrease and then eventually go to zero, Mm. that's just not right. Mm -hmm. We're never going to get that 90 acres back. It's never going to become taxable property. And so we need a permanent payment for that. So that's what we're suggesting. And we will see what happens with that. We're very grateful. The governor, for the third year in a row, included our capital city funding in her budget I expect that it will be in the one house bills because we have a great relationship with the assembly and with the Senate. I've been over there for years now talking about this and they really seem to get it. And there's Democratic supermajorities. If there's any time when you'd have the most favorable ears to hear your plea, this would be it, wouldn't it? I would think. And I think that really what we're looking for, again, is this permanence. Let's change the law. Let's not have to have whoever the mayor of Albany is come in every year uh, with their handout. Let's give us a baseline, because even with all of this money that we're proposing, the pilot payments and the capital city funding, per capita, we're still at half of what Buffalo receives. So 
this is not us asking for something that is outsized. Is this for because size. population is the formula they use? It's not just population. It's really unclear what the formula is for the unrestricted aid. That would be good to know what that formula is, wouldn't it? Well, yes, and there were spin ups that happened mm. when different municipalities over the course of decades, because this direct aid to municipalities has been in the budget for decades and decades and decades. So there were changes that were made when. When a particular city was undergoing fiscal distress. I don't want to take money from any right. municipality. But the other thing that we were there talking about was the unrestricted aid. That's money that basically it takes our progressive income taxes, which we're sending to the state, and it takes a very small portion of that, and it sends it back to cities based on need and allows cities to have that funding to hire police officers, firefighters, do infrastructure projects. And that money has not only not increased in the last 15 years, it's actually decreased 9%. So when literally actual dollar 9% I'm decrease. Not playing, I'm not playing games with inflation. Right. It literally has not grown, period, full stop. We receive $12 million in 2009, and we receive $12 million today. So inflation is up 32% since the last time they increased AIM, and we have continued to see significant challenges with respect to um, you know, workforce and our ability to fill the gap. And so what we're asking is just index it to inflation at a minimum so that we can get this direct aid. You know, The aid formulas for the schools have gone up. The state is spending more money in lots of other areas, and we want to ensure that our cities have the ability to not rely solely on those regressive taxes, sales tax and property tax, to fill the gap. What would the percentage increase be if you index it to inflation? Well, again, it would be 32%. 32%. We're willing to phase that in. I think our our proposal is that we'd like to see a 15% increase this year, a 15% increase next year, and then index it. So that every dollar helps. And, you know, some municipalities get very, very small amounts of AIM. Others rely more heavily on it. The city of Albany, it's less than 10 percent of our budget. Uh, there are cities where it's 50 percent of their budget. Yeah. Well, and therein lies the next question. I mean, you've got such a diverse number of cities across the state. and You take a giant city like New York and there was Eric Adams making his plea. And then you got Albany's mayor, Kathy Sheehan, of course, the head of the New York Mayor's Conference with us today. And you've got little small town mayors that have needs as well. So maybe give us a sense of how you guys get together and decide how you're going to come forward and present a unified plan. And then what do these actual dollars go toward? Sure. So, you know, as far as building consensus among the mayors, as the president of the New York Conference of Mayors, you're absolutely right. I represent a city, but the conference includes all the village mayors. And so I make sure that I am listening to them and understanding what does a, a village of 900 people need? And what are their concerns and, and what is really holding them back if they have a particular challenge? And so we meet and we discuss. We met starting Sunday evening and had meetings all day on Monday before some of us went up to the uh, Capitol to lobby. And so we are able to get consensus. We have a list of all of the different legislative issues that are on the table. We vote 
and determine which are going to be our top 10 priorities. We have discussions around those so that we can ensure that we're fairly representing everything from New York City all the way up to a village in the North Country. So that is part of the process. And one of the things that we hear and one of the things that we are lobbying for is a pool of money for water and sewer, very similar to the pool of money that exists for roads. There's funding in the budget that's called CHIPS funding, and it is a formula. It's formula-based, and it allows municipalities to know, all right, every year I can predict how much money I'm going to get for paving my roads. So I know how much I have to bond myself, what projects are going to be achievable, and I can plan out. I can look out five years and figure out what I'm going to be doing with that. We'd like to be able to do the same thing with water and sewer. Many small municipalities don't have the staff to apply for the grants that are available. We're grateful for the grants that are available. It's wonderful. But for smaller municipalities that just don't have the capacity, they really feel like they're missing out. And so we have suggested that similar to CHIPS for roads, that there be a CHIPS-like pool of funding that municipalities can count on year in and year out as they implement their sewer projects, their water projects, their lead pipe removal projects, and not have to have it be competitive and all grant-driven. It really seems like this issue would be generalized as infrastructure improvements. A lot of this money is going to help stabilize the infrastructure. And we've even had issues in Albany, Mayor Sheehan, that involved this warehouse downtown that's finally going to be demolished, ended up with a curtain over it. But for a time, it had some crumbling parts of the building that ended up on the Amtrak tracks. Another building in New York, same thing. We had land fall down on the tracks. So infrastructure is huge, especially when you see it affect public transportation. That's right. You never want to have to make that call to the uh, secretary of the Department of Transportation (laughs) saying we've got to shut down Amtrak. Uh, We were able to quickly resolve that. But, you know, that is somebody else's building and it caused problems for the city of Albany. So it shows how a bad actor can really have a negative impact. And then we have just our general infrastructure. We've invested tens of millions of dollars in the city of Albany on water and sewer projects that are designed to prevent flooding based on the volume of rain that we get in storms now. It really has changed. We don't have 100-year storms anymore because when you have five over three years, that's not a 100-year storm anymore. And that's a lot of effluent rushing out of the sewer systems and into the river. That's right. So I'm really pleased that the Beaver Creek Clean River Project is to the finish line and that this summer we will not be putting untreated stormwater into the Hudson River. And so that's a huge accomplishment. As we think about the future of the waterfront, first and foremost, it has to be clean. It has to be attractive. And what was happening in the past was not clean or attractive anytime it rained. You did not want to be kayaking. Or even walking along the side of the river in certain spots. Or standing too close, exactly. So I think that those types of infrastructure projects then allow us to drive economic development. Look, New York State has a lot to celebrate. First of all, it's just a beautiful state. It has incredible natural resources. We have water, plentiful water. And so we need to ensure that we're doing all that we can to retain that water. When we have heavy downpours, we've created wetlands and retention areas and retention basins so that we're not seeing the flooding from those storms and that we're able to retain that water. And that 
helps to drive economic development because it attracts businesses. And I imagine you're hearing that from most of your other colleagues, other mayors across the state, because we've seen this weather hit the entire state. This really is tied in some ways, too, to the changing climate. That's right. And we also want to be on the forefront of ensuring that we're doing all that we can to reduce our emissions. We've made a commitment with respect to that. Most cities and Villages and towns across the state have made that commitment. We want to build out our electric infrastructure for car charging and for electric vehicles. And all of that means jobs. So we look at this as an opportunity to grow jobs and grow our economy. And we want to make sure that the state and the federal government are investing alongside these industries so that we can attract them here in New York State. We're speaking with the president of the New York Conference of Mayors and the mayor of Albany. Kathy Sheehan on the Capital Connection. I'm David Gustina. One of the things that I see keep coming up locally, regionally, beyond New York State, is affordable housing. We saw the governor pitch a plan last year for 800,000 units. That ran into problems because there are local zoning laws. A lot of people pushed back on that. She's pushing again for this. But I know it's an issue you've been trying to tackle in Albany and that other mayors have serious problems with affordable housing. Well, when we talk about affordable housing, I think it's important to talk about affordability across the spectrum. What's affordable to me might be very different from what you consider to be affordable or what a young couple just starting out uh, thinks is affordable. And so we have to make sure that we're building housing at all affordability levels. The city of Albany does a great job building subsidized housing. So think uh, Albany Housing Authority, low-income tax credit housing, where you can't make more than 80% of the area median income to even access that housing. And in, in fact, you have to be at 20 30, 40% of the area median income for most of those units. That's wonderful to be able to provide housing to folks who are low income. But if you are a teacher, a police officer, a firefighter, if you have a welding job down at the Port of Albany, you are not going to qualify for that housing. And so we want to ensure that we're building market rate housing, workforce housing across the spectrum. We've done a very good job of that in Albany. We will have no problem qualifying as a pro-housing community. And I want to commend the governor for listening to local elected officials who said, we'd like for you to create a carrot. We can convince our community to think differently about housing if there is an incentive to do that. And so the governor is tying participation in things like the Downtown Revitalization Initiative, New York Forward, Main Street Grants, the Regional Economic Development Council pool of money that's available every year to pro-housing communities. If you want to access that money, you have to be a pro-housing community, which means that you've either demonstrated that you're building a significant amount of housing or you, you are making a pledge to do it. And, you know, I think that that really struck the right tone. And the mayors that I heard from at our conference uh, earlier this week, they were really pleased. They felt as though they had been heard. And we have to also ensure that we're creating density where it makes sense, that we're dealing with infrastructure in communities where they say, we'd love to build more housing, but we don't even have sewers. Yeah. And we're on well water. So we need to make some investments to be able to then spur the investment in that housing. So it's a complex issue. And, you know, the city of Albany had it right. Our common council over two vetoes of mine um, that they overrode passed some very, very aggressive inclusionary zoning 
rules. They changed our rules. We've had inclusionary zoning since 2018, which says if you're going to build market rate housing, you have to have set aside a certain number of those units to people who are below 100% of area median income. Wonderful idea. Who's going to pay for it? They made the rules stricter. They reduced. You have to be at 60% of area median income, which is very challenging. And we have seen a 70% decline in proposals for market rate housing. It's just not getting built. Between the interest rate environment and the inclusionary zoning, the numbers don't work. That's why I vetoed it. I predicted that this would happen. And so I am concerned about the future of the city of Albany because if this isn't addressed, if the Common Council isn't willing to come to the table and take a look at what they passed and look at easing off on those requirements, I worry that the only thing that will get built in Albany is low-income housing, and we will not have the housing that we will need for the people who are going to get those jobs down at the port with offshore wind opportunities that are there, people who are going to be coming in and working at Nano with all that is going on there with AI and with the chip development, those folks will go and live somewhere else because we're not going to be building housing for them. Well, and there, isn't there a stigma, too, when you build so-called subsidized housing and what you're doing is you're putting a lot of people who don't have means there and then, you know, the stereotypical, well, that's where the poor live. Those concentrations of poverty have been demonstrated to impact health outcomes. It impacts education outcomes. And so we want to ensure that we are creating mixed income neighborhoods. That's why we've invested a significant amount of our ARPA money into affordable home ownership. When people own a home, they're far more likely to be engaged in the community, far more likely to be engaged civically, and they help to build stronger communities. So we're trying to create affordable home ownership opportunities. We do need to continue to build affordable units, but we'd like to ensure that we're doing that in a way that doesn't continue to concentrate poverty in specific neighborhoods. Unfortunately, since the inclusionary zoning changes were made, we've seen a huge increase in the number of subsidized housing proposals, and they're all in those neighborhoods that this inclusionary zoning was trying to avoid. They were trying to build more affordability in other areas of the city. Very noble goal, but this was not the tool to get us to that goal, and unfortunately, we're seeing the consequences of it. You're hearing Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan, who is also the president of the New York State Conference of Mayors. She's a Democrat, and they were in Albany this week asking for, well, it's called Tim Cup Day. Does anyone ever have a tin cup and go, hey? I, yeah, I, I might bring one the next time. It'll be my last tin cup day, so I might be so bold. The governor brought carrots to a uh, roundtable meeting yesterday with mayors and town supervisors and other elected municipal representatives and joked that she had heard us loud and clear last year. She offered a stick, and this year she was offering carrots. Uh-huh. I'm told that they were organic, locally grown carrots as well. Now, is she going to give you the carrots, <laughs> or is she just going to hold them right out in front of your noses and then have you follow her? Well, let's move on to another important subject, which is the issue of migrants and asylum seekers, which has certainly impacted Albany. And we've had this whole thing between the Republicans in New York State, you know, why did you become a sanctuary city? And all these kinds of complaints. And We know, even the Republicans acknowledge it on some level, that it's a federal government issue. And when we start to see this influx of migrants, which largely impacted New York City, and then they began to be bussed up here, you know, this is one more group of people that in a city like Albany, you have to figure out how do we deal with this situation? 
I think it's shameful what happened in Washington this week. You know, you had Republicans and Democrats who came up with bipartisan reforms to our immigration laws, much needed, supported by those who are actually enforcing those laws, very much applauded by Border Patrol and by many, many other groups. And for that to have been declared dead on arrival is shameful. This challenge is not going to go away. And we need people. Our population is stagnating. The number of working age individuals, not just in New York State, but in this country, is going down. Without immigration, who is going to fill the jobs that need to be filled at our hospitals, at our nursing homes, in our factories? And if we don't provide a legal path to citizenship, we know what happens. People work in the underground economy. They are not afforded the same protections as everyone else. People worry about them driving down wages. The fastest way to drive down wages is to not provide a path to legal citizenship and to working legally in this country. When somebody is here awaiting their asylum hearing or working towards citizenship and they have the ability to work legally, they are paying taxes. They are subject to the same protections and rules as everyone else. They have to be paid minimum wage at a, at a, as a base. They're able to join unions. They're able to have the same opportunities as everyone else, which then does not have negative impact on the other members of the workforce. So I think that it is shameful and it's inhumane. I want a border. I do not believe in open borders. I would like to see a system as envisioned in the legislation that was passed where you don't just come into this country and then get to stay here, where you have to, before you come into this country, have applied. I'd love to see an ability to better match skills with need, but whether it's agriculture, healthcare, labor, construction, we have a need for people. And if we don't find a way to bring them in legally, to give all of us the peace of mind, I don't want anyone coming to my community who shouldn't be here. I don't want anyone coming to my community who's engaged in gang activity in another country. I don't want that. I want my community to be safe. But what we are seeing is that those who are coming here are far more likely to be victims of crimes. And it is incumbent upon us if we have a path to citizenship and a right to work, then we have much more of an opportunity to grow our economy, to grow our tax base, and to ensure that this country's foundation on immigration is able to continue in a way that allows that next group of uh, immigrants who come here to provide for themselves and their family and then be able to access education, access opportunities, start small businesses, all of the things that my family was able to enjoy when they immigrated here back in the 1800s. We're speaking with Kathy Sheehan, president of the New York Conference of Mayors and Albany's mayor as well. Now, Senator Neil Breslin announced he's going to retire. My goodness, what a family, what a political family over the years. He's from the 46th district. And a lot of Democrats, local leaders here say Assemblywoman Pat Fahey wants that seat. And some in Albany were criticizing the move as too fast. Obviously, Pat Fahey has said she wants the seat. She thinks she's qualified for the seat. I think many Democrats feel that way. Where are you on all this? Well, look, I first of all, Senator Breslin has been a friend. 
He has worked tirelessly for the district, for the city of Albany. He was born and raised in the city of Albany and has always had a listening ear and the willingness to fight for what Albany needs. So we have Capital City funding today because of his leadership, and I'm very grateful for that. And Pat Fahey has also worked tirelessly for this district, and I think when you have somebody who is in office, has the relationships in the Capitol, knows the issues inside and out, and has demonstrated an ability to get things done that people thought would never get done. We have red light cameras, whether you like them or not, but we have red light cameras which are making our streets safer because of Pat Fahey and her willingness to just keep at it and keep at it. School funding and school aid is now seen as being far fairer because of her hard work. And so why wouldn't we want that person in the Senate? I think it's just an obvious choice given her experience and her uh, ability to get things done. Well, now we've got an issue that, while it's in Albany, really affects the state and the country in many ways because there are so many alumni of St. Rose. The College of St. Rose announced its closing after this semester. It's really sad. My aunt and my mother-in-law graduated from here. You know, whenever you lose a small private college like St. Rose, that's part of the city's character. And now you've got also this issue of all these buildings, what, over 80 buildings that will be sitting there vacant. What's the latest on that, Mayor Sheehan? We are hopeful that the college will be ready to go into more detail about what those plans are. We did have a meeting with the college president and a number of members of the board at the very end of last year, That myself and Senator Breslin and Pat Fahey and John McDonald. They weren't really ready to tell us much. They are still working out the issues with the debt that they have, $48 million plus in debt, which is their responsibility to work out. So I have also, though, worked with my colleagues in state government to ensure that we are making our voices heard at UAlbany and with the SUNY system. I've met with the chancellor, Chancellor King, to tell him that I believe very strongly that we need to have an undergraduate degree program in education in the city of Albany. This is a pipeline for teachers in the entire region. The College of St. Rose graduated the most teachers of any undergraduate college anywhere in the state. And so if UAlbany is in a position to continue that program, they need to be given the ability to do that. Are you getting calls from developers already saying, we could do something with that land? Certainly, there are lots of ideas. I am cautiously optimistic that there will continue to be some education happening at that location. And I believe that there are definitely opportunities for housing with respect to some of those buildings. And so there's interest. But at this point, the college owns the campus. Um, I get calls every day from people who have wonderful ideas and they want me to give them a building. And I said, well, it's not mine to give. So you are very limited. Really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're the mayor of the city, but yep. you don't run the college yep. and you don't own it. Well, she is Kathy Sheehan, the president of the New York Conference of Mayors, and she is also the mayor of Albany. And it's been a pleasure having you in the studio. And I hope you will come back again at some point. Sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Capital Connection is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. You can listen to The Capital Connection anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. And join us again next week at this same time for another political conversation. For The Capital Connection, I'm David Gustina. Support for The Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Unite Us initiative. 